All right, everyone, it's time now to open our Bibles together. If you will, turn with me today to the book of First Chronicles in the Old Testament. First Chronicles chapter 29, starting in verse 1 here in just a moment. First Chronicles 29. We're going to get back at the end of January to our sermon series going through the book of Mark. Uh, we're only in Mark chapter 12, so we still got a little ways to go in the book of Mark. At the end of January, we'll get to that. But for the next few weeks, I've got some topical sermons I'd like to give, some topics that I'd like to address with you from God's Word. Today, we're talking about giving. Now, why a sermon on giving? Well, one of the reasons is it's been uh, a tradition for me. Every January, I preach a sermon on giving every January here at the church. But but, but why? Especially when you consider that we are such a generous church already. We're a wonderfully generous church. This sermon is, is not to kind of uh, slap you on the back and get you to give more. If I was trying to do that, I'd have the, the offering after the sermon. But, but it's wonderful here. You, you do such a good job at giving last year for, I think, the, the third or fourth year in a row since I've been here, we outgave our budget once again. Uh, we were so very blessed as a church. Uh, Roger Meadows, our, our financial uh, guy and on the elder team this past year, would always go over in our elders and deacons meetings the, the, the financial state of the church and all of the, the giving and everything this past month. And at the end, he would always have a tradition of saying, we are so blessed as a church, and it would give us all a chance to thank the Lord in our hearts because we are indeed so very blessed. We are in such a wonderful financial position as a church, and in that position, we, we give a very significant portion of the money that comes in uh, to some 20 plus different missions organizations and missionaries for their work of spreading the gospel, uh, as well as. We have given a record number, at least for our church, record number of dollars this past year, and we hope to far exceed it this year in giving to benevolence needs uh, in, in the church community, in the community at large. And so why a sermon on giving? Well, it's because giving is a spiritual discipline of the heart. Giving is a spiritual discipline of the heart. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven, hell, sex, and family. He spoke more about money than any of those. It would seem that our Lord placed a high value on giving, and so we should as well. If I did not preach on this, I would not be following the example of Jesus. If I did not preach on giving, I would not be pastoring you as I should. It is about our hearts. Scripture tells us the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. We read in the Gospels that it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Scripture teaches us that money can deceive us and twist our hearts away from God. And Jesus understood that it is absolutely vital that we make our money submit to God and not the other way around. You cannot serve both God and money, he said. And so why preach a sermon on giving when we are in such a wonderful position financially as a church? It's because there is something more important at stake here than the financial position of this church. Giving is about the hearts of each and every one of us in here this morning. And so with that, let's turn to our text. First Chronicles chapter 29, 
I'm going to be reading 16 verses this morning, so I'll ask that you follow along with me. Stay with me on this. It's a little bit longer of a passage, but it's worth it. 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. Okay, stop right here. Just a little bit of background information. This is at the end of David's life and his reign as king. He's about to die. He's about to pass on the, the leadership of Israel, the throne, to his son Solomon. That's the one God has chosen to lead Israel next. And God has also chosen Solomon to be the one to build, finally, a temple to the Lord. David had it in his heart to do it, but God says, no, you're not going to be the one to do it. It's your son, Solomon, that I choose to build a temple for me. That's where we're at in kind of the the life and the timeline of Israel. So verse 2, David says, So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, The bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood. Besides, great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Three thousand talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house, and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? And then the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. And then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. What a wonderful passage. I want to show you this morning some ways that generous giving produces joy. 
It produces joy. It comes straight from our, our passage this morning. We learn here first that joy comes from the honor of participating in God's purposes. Joy comes from the honor of participating in his purposes. Look back at verse 14 with me where David says, Who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? Who am I, Lord, that you would grant me the privilege of being able to contribute to your purposes? That's what David is feeling. David is is saying, God, you could have just as well have done it without my money and without our money. And yet you allow us to participate in bringing about your purposes for the world. Friends, that's, that's that's so right this morning. God could do everything he wants to do without your money. But he has decided in his grace, in his love, in his wisdom... To use us as the means by which and through which he works his purposes for this world and for his kingdom. Have you ever been a part of something that was so special? You were proud of the fact that you just contributed in any way. You wanted to tell people about it. What if if you owned a business and your business contributed money that went to research for the cure for cancer. And they found a cure for cancer. And you knew your business had been a part of that by contributing money. Wouldn't you be proud of that? Wouldn't you want to tell everyone about how your business was involved in that? Or maybe a little bit more close to home, have you ever had one of your kids do something that you were so proud of and you just wanted to tell everybody what your kid did, what your kid accomplished? Giving to God's purposes is like that. It makes us feel good. It should make us feel good. It should make us feel proud, not in a spiritually pride, a spiritual pride kind of way, but a feeling like it is when, when our kids do something that we're proud of, a feeling of wonder at the amazing privilege it is to be able to participate in God's purposes. Do you think that way about giving to the Lord? That this is an amazing privilege? What an honor it is that the Lord would let me do this? Listen to Paul's words about the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 3. Paul says, these Macedonians, they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord, and watch this, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul was taking up a collection at different churches to help the saints in Jerusalem because their church particularly was struggling. They were particularly poor in the first century. And the Macedonians were begging Paul, begging Paul for the favor or the privilege, you would say, of being able to take part in that, to give to that and to help the saints in Jerusalem. How many people today would beg for an opportunity to give away money? How many people today are begging for an opportunity to give away their money? The only way that happens is if you know that the happiness that you will get from giving the money is much greater than the happiness that you'll get from keeping it. Friends, we we are all on a pursuit for happiness, every single one of us. Every single person on earth is working toward that end, trying to be happy. If you know that giving money away 
is going to make me more happy than keeping it to this particular purpose. If you know that, friends, that's how you'll get to that point to where you'll, you'll beg for the opportunity. Because my happiness is at stake. My happiness is at stake. If we know that, if we believe that, we'll beg for the opportunity to give to God's purposes. Friends, your joy in giving will always be proportional to how great your view of God is. Think about this with me. Your joy in giving will always be in direct proportion to how great your view of God is. The greater your view of God and his work, the greater your joy will be to give to it. David had such an amazingly great view of God that he considered it an honor and a privilege. Who am I that I could give to God's purposes? Well, you have to have a high view of God to be able to feel and say that. But friends, if giving is just something that you have to do so you don't get put on the naughty list, which is the way so many Christians think about giving today. It's just something I got to do so I don't get on God's naughty list. If that's what giving is to you, you won't find much joy there. And so... What is your view of God this morning? That's really the underlying question of all of this. How great is your view of the Lord? Increase your view of the Lord. Go to the Lord. Ask him to bless you with a greater view and a greater knowledge of himself. And that is where you will find true joy in giving. Joy in giving comes from the honor of participating in God's purposes. Joy from giving also comes from the reminder of his generosity toward us. The reminder of his generosity toward us. Every time we give, it's a chance for us to be reminded of his generosity toward us. Look again at verse 14 with me in our text. Verse 14, David says to God, For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Of your own we have given you. Everything that you have is a gift from God. It is all his to begin with. It's a fundamental principle in our giving. It's all his to begin with. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? It's a gift from God's gracious hand. None of it we deserved. Friends, the only thing we deserve from the Lord is condemnation. Everything we have is a gift from his gracious and generous and benevolent hand. And friends, the, one of the most freeing truths here, this might not sound freeing at first, but one of the most freeing truths here is this. God does not need your gifts. God does not need your gifts. That's the last thing I'm going to stand up here and say. The Lord needs you to give to him. No, he doesn't. He doesn't at all. He can do everything that he does without your money. Listen to Psalm 50, starting in verse 10. Psalm 50, verse 10, God says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know, all of the, I know the birds of all the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. And watch what God says here. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. 
Friends, the Lord does not need our money. He can do everything that he wants to do without our stuff. But like David, we are privileged and honored to be able to participate in what he is doing, in his generosity and love, stooping down to let us do this. Friends, it's all his to begin with. We are mere stewards. We are stewards of God's stuff. The stuff you have, the money you have, the family you have, they are not yours. They are God's. And God has entrusted you with them for a time. Every single thing that you you tend to say is mine, it's the Lord's, and he has entrusted you with it for a time. How will you steward God's things. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, when he went to Egypt, was entrusted with Potiphar's household and everything in it. Potiphar, now it ended badly for Joseph because Potiphar's wife was wicked, but Potiphar entrusted Joseph. Potiphar was high up on the the, the authority chain in Egypt. He was very rich. He entrusted Joseph with everything in his household. There was nothing that he did not keep back from Joseph. And Joseph was the steward of Potiphar's house. Not the owner. It wasn't his. It was Potiphar's stuff. But he was the steward. A good steward. And so if we are mere stewards of God's money, then the question that we should all be asking ourselves is not, how much of my money should I give to God? The question is, how much of God's money should I keep for now? The question each one of us has to ask is not, how much of my money should I give to God? That's backwards. It's how much of God's money should I keep for now? And so, friends, joy comes from the reminder of his generosity toward us. Every time we give, just like in our elders and deacons meetings, it's, it's a moment for us to stop and say, I am truly blessed. The Lord has blessed me. The Lord has taken care of me. The Lord has given me everything I need and more than I need. And it is a joy for me to give to him. Joy comes from the reminder of his generosity toward us. And joy, thirdly, joy comes from the detaching of our hearts from the world. Joy comes from detaching our hearts from the world. Look at verse 9 here. Verse 9 in our text. It says that the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. They rejoiced. They did it willingly. They did it with a whole heart. Over and over again in this passage, you'll see David talking about how they gave willingly, freely, with a whole heart. One of the most important reasons to give regularly to the Lord is that it allows God to detach your heart from the things of this world and attach it to himself. Giving allows God to detach your heart from the things of this world and attach it to himself. The world is pulling at us so hard to attach our hearts to the things of this world. It's pulling at us so hard. Every single one of us feels it. And it is absolutely vital, my friends, that we do the opposite, that we detach our hearts from the world. 
Every now and then on the news, you'll hear about somebody who won the lottery. They won millions of dollars by buying this little cheap lottery ticket. They won millions of dollars. And sometimes we look at that and we think, oh, how great would it be to just have all the money that, that I wanted to do all the things that I wanted to do, to pay off all the things that I, I want to pay off. It'd be so comfortable. It'd be so much better. Life would be so much better. Friends, have you ever considered that that might be the worst thing that could ever happen to you? I mean it. Have you ever considered that winning the lottery could very well be the worst thing that could ever happen to you? You think, how in the world could that be? Let me tell you. If you win the lottery and you win millions of dollars and your heart leaves the Lord and becomes attached to money and stuff and comfort, you'll be the person that Jesus talks about. What good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? That could very well be the worst thing that could happen to someone because of how money pulls at our hearts. Friends, the great secret here, the great secret that the Lord is telling us from his word is that happiness comes not from attaching your heart to the things of this world, but from detaching it. That's where happiness comes. You will get greater happiness if you detach your heart from the stuff and the things of this world. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like it. Our, fle- our flesh cries out, no, 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 be comfortable, get stuff, spend money on yourself. Friends, there is such a greater happiness to be had in detaching your heart from the world and attaching it to God. A happiness that the world cannot touch. A happiness that does not go up and down with circumstances. A happiness that lasts for all eternity. And if you can actually start believing that, think about the power that that will work in your life. The freedom that that will give you over always wanting the next thing over spending all that time thinking about getting stuff for yourself because it will make me happy. Joy comes from detaching your heart from the things of this world. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, if there was one verse in the New Testament that I could say encapsulates the the whole New Covenant doctrine on giving, it's this verse that I'm about to read to you right here. This one verse is essentially the whole New Covenant doctrine, theology, philosophy, if you will, on giving. Everything that we believe on giving for us in this era, in this one verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so as you think about how much to give to the Lord, I will not give you a rule. I will not give you a percentage number. I refuse to do that. And the New Testament refuses to do that. In the Old Testament, the Lord called the Israelites to give a tithe. The word tithe means one-tenth, ten percent. That's where we get that idea. Many of you have probably heard of that idea, giving 10% to the Lord. That is an Old Testament, Old Covenant command from God that the Israelites were to give a tithe to him of all of their their produce, their harvest, what they had. 10% goes to the Lord. But in the New Covenant, God calls you to give 
what you decide from your heart. And the very last thing I want to do is coerce you to give. It's the very last thing I want to do. Paul specifically says you are not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. And so it would be wrong of me to stand up here and guilt trip you into giving. That would be exactly against Paul's words in the New Testament. Friends, we are to give joyfully. We are to give joyfully from the heart, whatever we decide. And that's between you and the Lord. Now, understand this. Some of us, all of us, all of us have hearts that are deceitful. All of us have hearts that we can't fully trust. All of us have hearts that want to justify us keeping sin in our lives. And so because we have hearts like that, some of us will read a verse like 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and think, oh, well, well, God says I'm supposed to give cheerfully. He says I'm not supposed to give reluctantly or under compulsion. And so I feel a whole lot better when I'm just giving like a couple dollars every other week to the Lord. I'll feel happy doing that. I don't feel happy giving all this amount that it seems like I feel like I should give. Friends, don't trust your hearts here. Your hearts are, are, are really good at justifying sin and finding loopholes in trying to, to follow the Lord. There's a difference between listening to your heart in that way and then being guilt-tripped into to giving. There's a difference there. So we have to discern that. We have to have a clear conscience before the Lord that we are giving. We, we, we must give joyfully and sacrificially at the same time. How can we have both of those? joyfully and sacrificially at the same time. And so your giving is between you and God. He will know if you are giving what you should, and you will know in your heart because the Holy Spirit will convict you and your conscience will guide you. A man once said there are three kinds of giving, grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. Grudge giving says I have to. Duty giving says I ought to. And thanksgiving says I want to. I want to. Look back at verse 14 with me one more time. David says, Who am I? Who are we that we should be able to thus offer willingly? Who are we that we should be able to do this? God, who are we that we should be able to do this? What David is not saying is, thank you, Lord, for giving my family a bunch of extra cash right now. That's not what he's saying. What he's not saying is, thank you, Lord, for giving me so much that I feel comfortable when I give. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, thank you, God, for giving me a heart that wants to do this. Thank you, Lord, that I am able to offer willingly, he says. Thank you, God, for giving me a heart that wants to do this. And so, friends, if you don't have that heart right now, ask the Lord for it. Pray for it. God, would you give me a heart that wants to give, that feels like it is an honor and a privilege and a joy to participate in your purposes by giving? Would you give me a heart like David's where I would consider, oh, oh God, who am I that you would let me do this? What an honor. What a joy. And so... Joy this morning. Joy comes from the honor of participating in God's purposes. Joy comes from the reminder of his generosity toward us. And joy comes from the detaching of our hearts 
from the world. Now, I want to end with this. Just a few practical considerations, practical suggestions for giving to the Lord. Let's get very practical this morning in this new year. Number one, practical suggestion for giving to the Lord. Number one, budget. Budget. Keep a budget. The greatest benefit of keeping a disciplined budget is this. The greatest benefit. There's no greater benefit than what I'm about to say. The greatest benefit of keeping a disciplined budget is the greater ability to be generous. When you keep a disciplined budget, you have a greater ability and freedom to be generous. It's the greatest thing that you can get from keeping a disciplined budget. With a budget, you can give without worry. Because you know you have taken care of those expenses that are coming up. You know you have taken care of the emergencies that might come up. With a budget, you can be free to give generously and not worry about it. Budget, brothers and sisters. Budgeting sounds so very earthly and practical. It can be a spiritual discipline that you can do for the glory of the Lord. Budget. Second, make your offering to the Lord, the very top line in your budget. When you you budget, make what you give to God come off the very top. It's the first thing. Everything else comes after that. Because the Lord is the most important thing in my life. And so he's going to be the most important thing in our budget. Make your offering the very first thing that comes out, the top line in the budget. And plan what to give in advance. Plan what to give in advance. Don't just give what's left over. If you say, I'm going to give to God whatever's left over, there will be many times when you don't give because you will feel like, I don't have any left over. Plan to give in advance. Take it off the top and plan to give in advance. Honor the Lord with what in the Old Testament they would call their first fruits. The first fruits go to the Lord. God gets my first and my best and everything else gets taken care of after that. So plan to give in advance, not what is left over. I would deeply encourage you every year to evaluate and reevaluate what you are giving. Does our giving need to increase? Do, have we had something happen to where perhaps our giving needs to decrease? Or do we need to trust in the Lord and keep giving the same amount even though it's going to be harder and we need to change our budget and our spending this year? But have conversations with one another, with your family members, or just individually take time to sit and think, Okay, let's evaluate, let's reevaluate. What am I giving? Giving, brothers and sisters, is about sacrificial generosity, not the amount. Understand that principle. Giving is about sacrificial generosity, not the amount. Remember the, the widow that Jesus pointed out to his disciples who put in two small copper coins into the treasury, and Jesus told his disciples, she has just given more than all the others who gave large sums. Why? Because giving is about sacrificial generosity, not the amount. You can faithfully honor God even when you have very little income. You can faithfully honor God even if you have very little income. And finally, acknowledge the desires of your flesh. Acknowledge the desires of your flesh. I feel it too. The, the, the desire for security and comfort, the desire to spend money on yourself rather than to give it away. I feel that too, brothers and sisters. That is, that is a human thing. Let's acknowledge it. Let's acknowledge that we have desires of our flesh that we have to fight against and say no to. For, for those of you who are married, 
acknowledge those desires to your spouse as you talk about this, as you talk about how much we should give and how we budget. Acknowledge those desires and help one another fight against those desires, especially the desire to put comfort above all. Friends, the American dream that has been peddled to us our entire lives is that your personal comfort is the most important thing in your whole life. Personal comfort above all. Personal comfort above everything else. The American dream tells us no one can fault you for trying to get more money. No one can fault you for wanting to have a nicer life. No one can fault you for wanting to be more comfortable than you are now. Comfort above all, even the Lord. That's the American culture that we live in. Don't buy it. Don't buy in to the lie of comfort above all. That's not what the Lord has called us to. He's called us to sacrifice for his glory and for our own joy. For our own joy. In a time of war, we are so blessed to not know what this feels like. Many of us in in my age, my generation. But in a time of war, everyone sacrifices. Everyone sacrifices in a time of war. Everyone willingly sacrifices in a time of war if they agree with the cause, if they're part of a country and they feel the patriotism of that country. Everyone sacrifices during a time of war. Friends, the Bible tells us over and over again, this is not peacetime. This is wartime. Peacetime comes after Jesus returns. We are in wartime. We are in a spiritual battle, a fight for our lives and for the kingdom of the Lord and for the souls of other people. This is wartime. Everyone sacrifices willingly during wartime. We're in it. As believers, as Christians, we're in it. I want to end with this thought. The reason we give is because Jesus gave it all. Jesus gave it all. When we come around the Lord's Supper table every week, we remember that he gave everything to us. He gave everything he had to give. Everything he had to give. He gave all of his blood. He gave all of his breath. He gave his very life. He gave everything he had to give for you and I. That is why we give. We give to the Lord because of the one who gave it all for us. Jesus. Giving is a much deeper spiritual discipline than many realize. Giving is about thanking the Lord for all that he has given to us. And when we really stop and think about it, he has given us everything, most specifically himself. And so let's, let's thank him. Let's praise him for that. Even now, right now we're going to to stop. I'm going to stop and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for just a few moments so that each and every one of us can respond to the Lord, can thank him for all that he has given to us and can pour out our hearts to him. Perhaps we have confessions to make in this area, confessions of sin and selfishness. Perhaps we need to ask God to help change our hearts in this area. Perhaps we need to spend time overflowing with thanks. Whatever it is, however you need to respond to the Lord right now, that's what we give this time for. Individual silent prayer for a few moments. So we'd encourage you to do that during this time. 
And then after we all pray individually, we'll come back together and we'll have an invitation time where anyone who needs to respond to God and his word publicly can do so. So let's pray for a few moments.